Psalm 32, if you found your place, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And uh, we'll look at a few verses here. Um, actually, for our reading, we'll just look at one verse. I'll, I'll let you sit down and we'll look at this Psalm of David together uh, as we look this morning at the Word of God. Now, you remember, we're in a series on Sunday mornings entitled Words from God's Word. We've just been kind of following the alphabet, so I'll give you a hint. We're on letter C, and I'll let you figure out what the Word is this morning, all right? Let's read this verse together. Look at verse 5 with me, and uh, we'll ask the Lord to, to uh, speak to our hearts. You see if you can pick the Word. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. What a powerful verse. Aren't you glad that God is good? He is so good, the Bible tells us, that He can forgive all of our sins. You know, if you, you know, some people may feel like, well, preacher, you just don't know what I've done. Hey, it doesn't matter what you've done. The blood of Jesus Christ is capable of cleansing all of our sins. We thank God for that. And that's exactly what the Bible says. Look at verse 5 once again. Let's read it again. The Bible says, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Of course, the word this morning is confess, and we want to look at that today and apply it to our lives. We'll take knowledge of the Word of God concerning this topic of confession. Let's bow for prayer, and then we'll be seated. Father, how we love you today, how we thank you for your precious Word. And this truth in particular that we're looking at today about confession. Lord, we are so thankful that we worship a God who can forgive us, who is willing to forgive us of all our sins. Lord, we thank you for that. And, and we pray, Lord, that you'll draw us and others to you, that this might uh, truly be our testimony, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Lord, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We ask you to use your word now to speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. We're going to preach a word this morning. The word confess is our word. And we're looking at Psalm 32. This is a beautiful passage where, where David talks about confession. He talks about um, this vital part of, of becoming a Christian and then, of course, living the Christian life. And so as we come to this time in God's Word, let's think about this. I want to invite you to just be still with me for a few moments. And let's, let's look for the Lord in this passage. And let's ask God to speak to our hearts today from His Word. Look with me at verse 1. The Bible says... Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. 
Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. <clears throat> Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be you not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. And the truth of that is we can say amen because those who are upright, those who are the righteous, those that are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, hey, we got something to shout about. We have something to rejoice about. And that is that our sins have been forgiven. Praise God for that. I like the little song that says, you ask me why I'm happy, so I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. <laughs> amen. That's what happens when you come to know Christ as your Savior. When Jesus died on the cross, He shed His precious blood, and that precious blood became the cleansing agent that would wash away our sins. It's not good deeds. It's not righteous living. It's not church membership. It's not the baptismal waters. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what cleanses our sins. The Bible is clear about that. I like what the songwriter said, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? And the answer is the same. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Then pray tell me, why do we trust in everything else? People today are trying hard and they're doing better and trying to be good. But we all know, those who know the Scriptures, we understand that that will never wash away their sins. Because good works do not erase bad ones. And if we stand before God on Judgment Day with just one sin, we would be pronounced guilty. The verdict would be guilty. And we would hear that, that famous line, Depart from me, I never knew you. You know, you don't want to stand before God like that. You don't want to stand before God having any sin on your record and on your account. Jesus said to the disciples, Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into, into heaven. Think about that. How do you be more righteous than a Pharisee? <laughs> you get saved, amen? The Pharisees probably lived the best lives a human could live. They were the most righteous people that anyone knew in their day. Can you live better than a Pharisee? Humanly speaking, I'd say not. The only way to be more righteous than a Pharisee is to trust Jesus Christ and allow Him to wash away your sins so that your, that your account in heaven is cleared and the Father declares you to be righteous through Jesus Christ. Hey, and when we put on His righteousness, He takes our sinfulness and then clothes us in His righteousness. That's the only way to stand before God and, and be more righteous than a Pharisee. How about you today? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, I want you to understand that that is the only way to get rid of your sins. Ask Jesus to come in your life and save you. What He did on the cross, that was the payment for your sins. 
And so you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to overcome it. You don't have to be better and do good in order to have a relationship with God. If you want to know that that is secure and that you have a home in heaven, then you just need to come and surrender yourself to Christ and say, Lord, I need to be saved. Forgive me for all my sins. Come into my heart and life. Be my Savior and start trusting what He did on the cross and stop trusting what you've been doing or what you can do to be good enough. You know, it's really that simple. But that's a hard thing for some people to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus and to trust Him alone for salvation. And that's exactly what we have to do. Now, this psalm here is not talking about coming to Christ in salvation. We do confess that we are a sinner when we come to Christ. When, when we receive Him as our Savior, that is our motive for doing so. We understand that, we, that, we've, that we're guilty before God, that we violated His commandments, that we could never be good enough to earn heaven. And so we come to Christ and we confess that. We confess that we believe that He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world who died to save us. And we accept His payment to be our own. So there is confession in salvation, but that's not the confession we're talking about today. Because we remain in this old sinful world. We remain in the flesh, in our human bodies. We may have been delivered from the penalty of sin, but we still struggle with the power of it. And so, David here, in Psalm 32, is writing about confession for the believer. Now, I know some people, people debate this all the time. If I've, if I've been saved and Christ has forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future tense, then do I need to ever confess my sins to God? Well, so the answer is yes, but not in the same way you did to get saved. You know, it would kind of be like, you know, a husband and wife. They're forever married, so do they need to talk about their problems? Well, anybody who's married knows, yeah, sometimes you got to talk about it. You got to work it out, right? You got to deal with things. And sometimes you got to say, I'm sorry. And I don't know why it is, but for some people, it's like the hardest thing to ever say in life. I'm sorry. Some people don't know how to frame the words. I was wrong. But you know, a lot of times that's what solves the problem in an argument, in a disagreement, in a marriage, in a relationship of any kind. So when we're talking about our relationship with the Lord, look, God's the perfect one, so often you and I are going to find ourselves in the position of having to come back to Him and say again, oh, I was wrong. Lord, I am sorry. Right? I did this. I did that. We're not getting saved again. That's not necessary. But we do want to restore the closeness and the fellowship. Right? Because the Bible says... Through the prophet Isaiah, he said, your sins have separated between you and your God. Now, we think of that typically, uh, you know, a lost sinner being separate from God. But the truth is, sin hinders our relationship with God as believers. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It can stop your prayer life. And those are the kind of reasons why we would want to come back to the Lord time and again and confess. You know, the Bible even says among ourselves as believers and as church family 
There are times that we should confess. Brother James said that we should confess our faults, not our sins, but our faults one to another. You know what faults are, like talking too much, like being impatient, uh, sometimes like being ornery or disagreeable. And sometimes in our relationship, even with brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes we have to come and we have to say, brother, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for being impatient with you. Please forgive me uh, for, for saying, you know, what I said the other day. You know, we have those things to deal with in our life. Amen. Am I the only one who experienced that? <laughs> so confession is needed. And David writes about it. Let's talk about confessing for a moment. Let's think about this topic for, for believers today and see how, how it affects us. I want you to notice in the first couple of verses, first of all, the blessings of forgiveness or of confession. Why do we need to confess anyway? Well, we've talked about some of that, but notice if you would in verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The Bible says in verse 2, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. It's interesting, these two verses may seem to contradict each other. They, they really don't, but, but let's think about what, what we're dealing with here. Verse 1 is talking about uh, the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, for a saved person, we could say, hey, amen, that's us. And he's saying, blessed is that person who has their sins forgiven, right? But stop for a minute and, and realize, as a believer in our relationships, the same thing is true. Why would we not want to come and confess and get things right so that we can be in that blessed state of having those sins forgiven and covered that we've committed one against another? And that's why we want to confess. Look at verse 2. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. This has to do with salvation. When you are saved in Christ... All right, I got saved years ago. But if I sin today or tomorrow, that sin will not be imputed to my account. You know why? Because I have been declared righteous and I wear the robe of the righteousness of Christ. My sins have been forgiven. When Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he didn't, he didn't just pay for my past sins. He paid for all of my sins. And so that sin doesn't get recorded again on my account. If it did then I would risk dying as a sinner and standing before God in judgment and being found guilty as a sinner. If, if that were true, then salvation wouldn't be eternal. Salvation wouldn't be permanent. Some people believe that. I, I do not. I think the Scriptures teach that salvation is eternal life. It's the gift of God. It lasts forever. And this is why. Because once you are forgiven, once you're born into the family of God, no more sin can be imputed to your account again. It's done. The transaction's final. It's finished. Now, again, you say, okay, then why do we need to confess? Because we, want, we do not want the offense to affect the relationship. Right? That's why. We want to stay close to the Lord. And we don't want sin to get in our way. It doesn't make us lost again, but it can hinder us in our fellowship with God, and in our service to Him. So we see this great truth. Look, confession brings forgiveness, right? And, and even if we're saved in Christ, we've been forgiven of our sins, 
We still need the forgiveness that brings that restoration of fellowship. We need that. Not only that, we need that sometimes between, between fellow brothers and sisters. You need that in a marriage. You need that in a home, in a family relationship, between parents and children, sometimes between siblings. We, we need that, that forget. Look, just because you sin, that doesn't mean you're no longer part of the family, right? They don't set you out at the curb. But for example, two kids fighting with each other, they get all offended one, one to another, and, and guess what? Until that's resolved, they don't want to play with each other no more. They don't want to talk to each other. They don't want to be in the same room together. Right? So what, what, what restores that, that family relationship? What, what restores that fellowship, that friendship, that playfulness, that joy? What, what restores that? Confession. It brings forgiveness in the heart of the offended party. This is not only true of God our Father, but it's true of us one to another. This is what keeps our, healthy, our relationships healthy and strong. Confession brings forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 uh, is a great verse for that. It says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I, I love the way that verse appears in our Bible because it tells us that God is willing to forgive all sin. There is no sin that God is unwilling to forgive forgive right now people say well what about the what about the um, you know the unforgivable sin you know that's quenching the holy spirit look that's another sermon don't bring that up right now okay <laughs> we're talking about everyday stuff you know they say there's an exception to every rule and i believe there is i believe you can you can sin and you can tell god no and you can push god away only so much, and then there's going to be a point in time, like Pharaoh, when you go too far and God says, okay, enough with you then. You've said no, and you've said no, and you've said no, and you've pushed me away, and you know what, okay, I'm going to leave you alone. I'll leave you to yourself. You know, and, there, and the Bible talks about that, how we eat the fruit of our own way sometimes. The Bible talks about how there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Um, and, and I think those are rare occasions. So it's not something necessarily that interferes with what we're talking about this morning. Confession brings forgiveness. And in 1 John 1, 9, we find that God is ready and faithful to forgive us of all our sin. Amen? How about this? Confession brings covering of sin. Verse 1, we talked about that, how when you come to Christ in salvation, your sin is covered, never to, bo to be remembered in the mind of God. God chooses, the one who knows everything, chooses to forget your sin. We ought to do a little Bible study on that sometimes. You'll find that your sin is recorded. And then when you get saved and you trust Christ, the Bible says it's blotted out. And then it's nailed to the cross. And then it's cast behind God's back. Into the deepest sea is where it lands. As far away from God as the east is from the west. But that's never ending. What is God trying to tell us with all that? He's trying to tell us that once our sins are covered by Jesus Christ, He chooses to never remember them again or bring them up against us. That's what verse 2 means when it says that sin won't be imputed to your account. It won't be used against you uh, uh, in, on judgment day. Confession brings the covering of sin. 
Also, confession reminds us of our accountability to God. We are accountable. And you know, once we're saved and receive Christ as our Savior, we have eternal life. Our sins are covered, never to be remembered in the mind of God. That's all true. But if we sin again and sin later, like we will, because we're still in this old sinful world, we're still in the flesh, and those occasional things will happen. But the Bible says we're accountable to God. And that's why we come back and confess again. Not to get saved again. Not to re-enter the, the family of God again. We don't need to do that. But we just want to make sure we keep that relationship close to Jesus. And we make sure that no sinfulness in our heart and life would get in the way of what God wants to do in us and through us in this life. Romans 14, 12 says this, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now I'm glad to know once we're saved, we're going to stand at a different judgment. We're still going to give account of ourselves to God, but we're not going to answer for our sins. Those sins were dealt with on the cross by Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord for that. But you know, as believers, as children of God, we're going to answer for our life and how we live for the Lord. And we certainly don't want to be hindered in any way. So we come and confess. But I want you to notice it continues. The blessings of confession are amazing and we rejoice over that. But I want you to notice what happens when we don't confess. Look at verses 3 and 4 and notice with me the bitterness that unforgiveness brings. The Bible says in verse 3, when I kept silence. Think about that for a minute. You ever done that? You ever kept silence? You ever resisted? Pride ever got a hold of you? Well, I shouldn't have to apologize. It's more their fault than mine. Right? When I kept silence... You know, we do that sometimes. We know we should confess. We know we need to make it right. And sometimes we just, we just stew about that thing. We just hold on to it. We just keep silence. What happens? Look what he says. My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. What is that roaring? Hey, that is resistance of the conviction that you're feeling, your guilt. That's when you're pushing back against the guilt that you feel for the wrong that you know you've done. If you're a child of God, you're going to have that. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. He's going to speak to you. The Holy Spirit within is going to say, hey, you shouldn't have said that. Hey, you shouldn't have done it like that. You shouldn't have gone there, whatever the case might be. He's going to point that out to you. And sometimes we resist. That roaring takes place. It's a rage within us because we're fighting against what we know to be true, that we should make it right, that we should confess and ask forgiveness. Notice verse 4, he said, For day and night, my hand, or thy hand, he's talking about the hand of God, that's that conviction. The hand of God was heavy upon me, he says. My moisture is turned to the drought of summer. Selah. Well, when we don't confess, and we should, you know, it can lead just like the psalmist says here. We can resist, we can push back, we can wait, we can refuse, and it can lead to chastening. You know, when you were growing up, you did wrong, you got a spanking, right? If you had good parents, you did. They said, we're going to deal with that. I'm not talking about being too heavy or anything abusive. I'm talking about just 
correctly getting a spanking when you needed one. I know I probably needed more than what I got growing up. And so we know, we know what that's like. Well, guess what? God is a good parent, and, and he knows how to chasten us. He, he knows how to give those, those spankings, if you want to call it that. God knows how to deal with us and correct us, and he often does. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. It says every son. Hey, listen, there, there's not a believer out there that won't experience chastening in their life if they get away from the Lord. God's going to come after you because He loves you that much. Because He cares. He cares about the attitude of your heart. He cares about the state of your mind and your life. He cares about whether or not you're right with Him and others. And God will deal with you. But when we don't confess, something else happens. Not only are we chastened, but we get hard-hearted. It affects us. We suffer when we don't do right. People think, well, I can, I can handle it. It don't, it don't affect me. No, that's where you're wrong. That's where you're being affected by it, and you don't even know it, but everybody around you can see the effects of your unforgiveness. They can feel the effects of the bitterness that sets in. Not only your heart, but others. Well, because we can get hard-hearted. We can get cold and calloused in our spirit. We can get apathetic. You wonder where apathy comes from? It comes from sin. Sin will make you not care about things you should care about. And sometimes it comes when we are not right with God and refuse to get right with God. We don't want to confess. And this is what David's talking about here in the psalm. When he said day and night, he talks about uh, his bones waxing old, and he talks about the drought of summer, the moisture is gone. Well, what does that mean? Well, he gives us two illustrations. First, he's talking about old, brittle bones. What happens? They snap easy. They, they break quickly, right? And, and guess what? People that are resisting God's conviction people that need to confess some things and they're not, they need to get right and they won't, guess what? It don't take much, just a little, just a little a poke here, a prayer there, guess what? Man, they snap on you. Hey, don't tell me who you think you are, holier than thou. People that talk like that, it's usually because they've got a chip on their shoulder because somewhere in their life, they're pushing back against God, they've got resistance going on, they refuse to confess, and they'll snap in a hurry. You know, it's funny because people that are right with God, we're, we're observing this behavior, and we know. We don't need a judge, jury, and verdict. We, we already see what's going on in your heart. We can tell something ain't right. You know the old saying, something ain't right in Denmark? Something ain't right in South Louisiana right here. We can tell. Standing in your shoes, we see it. Well, not only that, he talks about this drought. The moisture's dried up. What's he talking about? There's no tenderness of heart. There's no tears. You've lost the ability to weep. You know, the Bible talks about things that we ought to weep over, like lost souls, people that are dying and going to hell without Christ and without God. And you know, some, we, we can get cold to that. We can get callous to that. 
because of the things that we're dealing with in our own heart. And that's not a good state to be in. It's one of the reasons why we want to stay close to the Lord. This is why we want our fellowship to be right. This is why we don't want sin to get in the way. Because it causes us to turn inward and be selfish. It, turns, it causes us to focus on self, what we want, what we need, instead of what God wants, instead of what others need. We don't think about others, we're just thinking about ourselves. But when we confess, it cures that. It reverses that. Praise God. Confession indicates change. Not only that, it indicates a willingness to embrace change. Confession shows our new condition. What is that? It's remorse over our sin. Do you feel that? Hey, if you don't feel that, you need to call out to God and ask Him to, to work in your cold heart. Your heart is calloused. Your heart is cold if you're not bothered by your own sinfulness. Confession reveals our new condition. It, it, it shows that remorse, that guilt that we feel, the shame of our own sinfulness. And we bring that to God and we ask Him to cleanse us. But it also reveals our new conclusion. What is that? That is repentance. Repentance, people define it a lot of different ways. Repentance is visible in action in our life. But first, real repentance is a change of the will, or you could say a change of the heart. It's volitional change. It's when you know you're wrong and you're willing to admit it. And what happens after that? Well, I've given the example several times about traveling down the highway and all of a sudden you realize, oh no, I've missed my turn. I'm, I'm going the wrong direction. Well, you may realize that, but there may not be right there handy an exit to take. But when you know you're going the wrong way, immediately, what are you doing? You're looking, you're looking for the next one. Hey, first exit I find, I'm getting off this. Why? Because you know you're wrong. And that's how it is in life. Now, a lot of people look at the exit and they say that's repentance. But no, repentance produces the exit. You're not willing to exit until you first realize you're wrong and admit this is the wrong, this is the wrong way. That realization has to come and that happens on the inside. That happens in the heart and mind. It's, it's part of your will. And when your will is willing to change and, and admit the truth, that is real repentance. And then that repentance produces fruit. It produces action. And that action is that you change your behavior and you get off the interstate. You take the exit. People see that U-turn. And they, then they know you've repented. They can't see what happens on the inside. But when they see the U-turn, then they know it's real. Hey, so-and-so got right. Amen. But guess what God's watching? God's watching for the repentance to happen in here. Because He can see this part, and we can't. And when we repent of our sin, when, when we admit we're wrong, then we're on the right road. Then we're ready to take the exit. Then we're ready to acknowledge with God and get things right with others. Then we're ready to have our heart restored and to bring back that compassion 
that's so needed in our Christian lives. In verse 5, we find the best way to confess. How do you do it anyway? Well, verse 5 says, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So what do you do? Number one, you acknowledge sin. You admit it. That's how you confess. You can't confess without admitting it. Well, hey, if I've ever done anything wrong, I'm sorry. That's not confession. Confession doesn't have if attached to it. When you're ready to confess, you're not saying, if I've ever done anything wrong. You know you have, and you know exactly how and where you did. And you don't come saying, well, sorry. No, you come saying, hey, I'm sorry for this. That's confession. You acknowledge, you admit your wrongdoing, your sin. But not only that, what do you do? When you confess your sin, you name it. You see David naming it right here? He's naming sin. Matter of fact, he uses three names. He uses transgression, iniquity, and sin. Whoa, uh, uh, wait, whoa. Which one? Yes. In this case, he's talking about all of it. It's the only way to really confess. Confess it all. And he does. So what do these words mean? You can make some notes. If you're in the habit of marking in your Bible or if you're taking notes, I'll give you the definition. The word transgress means to intentionally disobey. That's transgression. It means willful trespassing. I know this is forbidden ground and I'm walking on it anyway. Willful. You can put in parentheses after that a good example. If you want to put it in a word, it's rebellion. Because it's on purpose. It's understandably willful transgression. Number two, the word iniquity. Iniquity refers to the perversity of sin. That would, ha that would be how you would define it. And I'm just putting it in layman's terms. There are technical words that, that you can look up if you want. These are just everyday layman's terms. Iniquity refers to the perversity of sin. Again, if you want to put it in a word, we would say the severity. The severity of your sin. How many of you understand that some sins incrementally are worse than others by their effect? Right? And that's what he's talking about. The word sin itself is defined as disobeying God's commandment. It's just going beyond. You're either doing what God said not to do, or you're not doing what God said to do. That's sin. Sin is just, if you want to put it in a word, put in parentheses, sin is wrongdoing. It's just doing wrong. You know it's wrong, you do it. All right? So, understanding that, look what David said. Hold your place there and turn to Psalm 51 for a moment. Let's just do that quickly. Psalm 51, and just look with me at the first few verses. Uh, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 51, and David said this, another psalm where he's confessing, right? He says, verse 1, "...have mercy upon me, O God." According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's covering all the bases, isn't he? He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. 
That's a powerful statement. David is just saying right here, I can't get away from it. Everywhere I look, I see it. I feel it. He's got that intensity that tells him he knows he's not right and he needs to confess. We call that conviction. It's when the Holy Spirit tells you, like a judge, he convicts you within. He says, you're guilty. He says, that was wrong. He says in your heart, you know you shouldn't have done that. So the psalmist says, I, I feel that. I can't get away from it. What did he do? He confessed. Confessing is admitting your sin. It's naming it. You know, sometimes we want to confess and then we want to say, well, you know, I, I have faults. Lord, forgive me for my faults. Why don't you just say, forgive me my sin? Matter of fact, why don't you say, forgive me for the sin of gossiping. Forgive me for the sin of pride. Forgive me, right? Just name it. And then how about this? Confessing, the best way to confess is to agree with God about it. Agree with God. You know, sometimes we just don't want to, we don't want to come outright and agree with God that our sin is sin. It's wicked. It's bad. It's wrong. It's ungodly. Having the attitude that it is wrong and being willing to admit that. Agree with God about your sin. When you confess this way, it brings cleansing. Look at Psalm 51. Go down to verse 7. Look what David said. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Beautiful words, aren't they? Don't they remind you of the hymns that we sing about that? They come from this psalm. David is using the object lesson of washing a dish with that little scrubbing hyssop pad that they would use. What is he saying? God thoroughly cleanse me is what he's asking for. Look at verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. That's what confession does. You know, you don't have that until you confess. That clean heart, we call it a clear conscience. That right spirit, you know, you can't get that without confession. And then lastly, I want you to see, going back to Psalm 32, I want you to see when to confess. When do we confess? Look at verse 6. He said, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. So he's talking about a time when you should pray and get forgiveness because he's, he's, he's implying that you can wait too late. And we certainly don't want to do that. Let's just be clear and simple. When do you confess? Well, you confess when it's on your mind and heart. And isn't that what the psalmist is saying in both chapters, 32 and 51? He's saying, I can't get away from this. It's on my mind. It's on my heart. I know I've done wrong. So what does he do? He comes to God and he confesses. That's the time to confess. I haven't preached about any particular sin or wrongdoing this morning, but I'm going to give you a pro tip right here in the Christian life. If God has brought something to your mind this morning while I'm preaching that you need to repent of, hey, I would say this morning it's time to do that. You should bring that to the altar and say, Lord, I confess. Why? Because it's on your mind and heart because God brought it there. And anytime God puts something on you like that, that's the time to confess. You know, 
people say it like this. We want to keep short accounts with God. What does that mean? It means you don't wait long periods of time that as soon as God brings something to your attention that you need to get right, that you do it. You act on it immediately so that it can be gone and the slate clean. Why? Because you don't want that fellowship with God to be hindered. You don't want sin to stand in the way. And then number two, when God is dealing with you about it. They sound the same. They sound the same, but they're not. Sometimes God can be dealing with you about something, and in your mind and heart, God's telling you that's wrong, but you're not carrying the weight of it like the psalmist was. You're not carrying that constant guilt, that conviction. It hasn't fully set in yet, or maybe, maybe you've pushed it away. That's a dangerous place to be. I had a pastor one time that said, there's two times you need to come to the altar. When God's working on your heart, there's things on your mind you know you need to talk to God about, man, you need to come. And he said, the other time you need to come to the altar, he said, when nothing's on your mind and heart. He said, if, if, you, if you've been any length of time without God working on you, something's wrong. The channel's clogged up and you need to get down here and get it unclogged. Amen. You need to, you, listen, you got something in your ears. God's been talking, but you hadn't been hearing him. Because I know you're not perfect, neither am I. Hey, that's good practical advice, isn't it? So when God's speaking to you or when he ain't, if God's not close to you, if he's not speaking to you about things, that's a clear indication something's amiss. This morning, we all would do well to take heed and follow the, the, the example of the psalmist and confess. And why would we do that? Well, because the Bible says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins covered. Brother Olaf used to say, if you want to be blessed, you've got to put yourself on blessing ground. Well, confession is where the blessing ground is. When you get that cleaned up and get things right with God, then he's in a better state to pour out that blessing, whatever it might be in your life. So let's bow together in prayer and let's ask God to help us and, and let's, let's be willing to stand on that blessed ground. Father, how we love you this morning. How we thank you for your precious word. We just ask you now to do your work in our hearts and lives. And Lord, may we always ever be willing to call upon you, Lord, to confess anything that would get between us, and Lord, even to come at a time like this and just ask for that nearness to be available to us. Maybe someone here today doesn't have a lot to confess, but they do want to close the gap between them and you. And this morning would be a great time for them to come and seek you and just say, Lord, help me get closer. We know that you certainly want that. The Bible says if we draw nigh to God, you will draw nigh to us. What a great truth. And so have your way in our hearts this morning. Draw us close. Help us as we confess. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.